0: Just verses 25 to 39, this is God's word. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust, there may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes, and let him be filled with insults. For the Lord will not cast off forever, but though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love, for he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. To crush underfoot all the prisoners of the earth, to deny a man justice in the presence of the Most High, to subvert a man in his lawsuit, the Lord does not approve. Who has spoken and it came to pass unless the Lord has commanded it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad come? Why should a living man complain, a man, about the punishment of his sins? Read that far in God's word. This uh, third lament, the third chapter of Lamentations, Jeremiah wrote about his own afflictions as we introduced and studied last time. Just a quick reminder that he was writing about his own afflictions, his own reflections about the loss of his city, the city of Jerusalem. This is written on the occasion of Jerusalem's destruction. His own afflictions at the hands of the Lord in a way that remind us of the book of Job, reminds us of some of the Psalms, it reminds us of Jeremiah's bigger book, the book of Jeremiah and some references again are made and also reminds us of the suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ to, to which it all points of course. But as I mentioned, what, what happens right after verses 22, 23, and 24? The, the center or the height of the book of Lamentations. We're reminded of God's steadfast love, which never ceases. We were reminded of his mercies, which never come to an end. We're reminded of God's faithfulness, which is new every morning. And God himself, who is our portion, giving us a sound basis on which to hope. What happens right after that? Waiting. One of the hardest things in life to do. It brings us to our main point across your bulletin handout. Between our current suffering and our future relief, we have a limited opportunity to lament while God uses this time to produce something good. We'll see in verses 25 to 27, while we lament that waiting itself has become our new hardship, we discover afresh the goodness of the Lord. Verses 28 to 33, secondly, while we lament, the Lord reassures us that our suffering will end. And verses 34 to 39, while we lament under God's design, we gain true contentment. So we're at verse 25, and these are units of three, as you remember, 25, 26, and 27 stand together as a unit. They begin with the same letter of the Hebrew alphabet as the the, chapter is working its way down alphabetically. This pattern is similar to chapters 1 and 2, and similar to chapters 4, where it goes alphabetically. But the difference in verse 3 is that there's chapter 3 is that there's three verses for each letter. Very intricate structure. It's designed on purpose. It's not elementary at all, as it might strike us. It's high art. And a lot of attention has been given to it in order that we get its important message. Each verse even begins with the very same Hebrew word. Here, Not just the Hebrew letter, but in this instance, the Hebrew word is the same. All three verses, so it's repeated three times, and it stands out on purpose, and that word is the word good. Jeremiah's lament now takes us to a meditation on what is good, an important thing to do when we are in pain or suffering. Jeremiah had stated in verse 1 that he has himself seen affliction under the rod of God's wrath. He's a man who's in affliction. And now he wants to meditate on what is good. The natural tendency is to run away from God and think about what's bad. But Jeremiah learned something vital through his lamenting, and he's sharing that with us. Jeremiah learned that the better course is not to run from God, but rather to run towards him and to wait for him quite intentionally and actively. Why? Because of this golden truth he starts off with in verse 25. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. And the second half of the verse supports and confirms in that classic Hebrew style of a little bit of repetition to underscore what was just stated, the same truth. Verse 25b, the Lord is good to the soul who seeks him. What does it mean that the Lord is good at times of our pain. What does it mean to wait for the Lord and to seek God? It means lamenting. It means learning to lament as God has given us this as a gift. A whole book of poetic lamenting. It means to keep communicating to God. It means prayer. It means coming into the very presence of the Lord God. It means getting God's help for our perspective, as verses 22 to 24 did. But continuing with that, building on that, staying there in that lament. So verse 26 gives the second out of the three things that are good. It's good when suffering people wait quietly. In other words, it's good when we do not grumble to God about his delay. It's good when we do not gripe to God that he's in slow motion. It's good when people going through a hardship show a yielded attitude to God. Verse 26 says it this way. It is good... That one should wait quietly. Now, quietly here doesn't mean ceasing all talking with God, not that kind of quiet, of course. Jeremiah's in the middle of writing a book, he's got a lot of words. He's not quiet in the sense of ceasing communication, rather, it's the kind of quiet that is praying to God devoid of fuming toward God. Jeremiah was not silent in that way. He's raising challenges in our chapter regarding God and this affliction. You'll see in the next section, Lord willing, next time, the end of chapter 3, Jeremiah goes farther. He goes on to say much more. But all this, Jeremiah will manage to say while maintaining a yieldedness to God during his waiting. He's not questioning the fundamental justice of God to allow the city to fall, for example. And building on that, then verse 27, the third of our couplet, our triplet, the third set of three things that are good, it is good to bear the yoke while young, verse 27. In, in his youth, that prepositional phrase could refer to literal young people, but it could also poetically and literarily refer to the early moments of suffering. When you're young in it, when you first enter it, rather than waiting until much later in the zone of suffering to learn this, to learn what? To learn to bear the yoke. Jeremiah is telling us, from his experience in lamentation and suffering and pain, that it's best to do this as soon as possible. To do what? To learn to bear the yoke. What's the yoke? The yoke here refers to the long duration of time of suffering under God's discipline. An ancient yoke, you remember, is enabling a farmer to steer an animal in the needed direction. And so for God, the yoke is the sufferer, being enabled to be steered by God in the needed direction. The implication is that if we experience and recognize God's lessons in our suffering, that he's steering us in the right direction, then later we'll remember both the pain and its attending lesson. After the yoke is removed, we will still be committed to walking in the correct and godly pathway. So the mention of yoke by the prophet Jeremiah reminds us of the book of Jeremiah, chapters 27 and 28, where the prophet had actually put on an actual animal yoke to make his teaching point that God's people must submit to the yoke to the rule of the invading foreign king of Babylon. In other words, Nebuchadnezzar was God's instrument of discipline and the people should accept that suffering as from God and let it steer them in the right direction. So it's good, if you follow the logic to the end then, it's good that what people, God's people would learn in exile would be continued when the exile is over or the yoke is removed. That's what he refers to here in this triplet, verses 25, 26, and 27, the goodness of waiting for God, the goodness of waiting quietly, and the goodness of bearing the yoke. We move on to... This next section. Two triplets now. While we lament, the Lord reassures us that our suffering will end. The previous, it is good to wait quietly from verse 26, now becomes in verse 28, to sit alone in silence. Verse 27, which was bear the yoke, now becomes in verse 29, there may yet be hope. And the lesson is clear across this next triplet. The lamenting zone is limited in time. And so the time must be used correctly. Christians who are going through hardships are to do more than hunker down in some stoic waiting. We're to do more than remain tough or hang in there. We need to do more than set minimum goals such as outlasting the problem or reaching the point where we say this too shall pass and it has in fact passed. That's not a Christian approach. That's not how Jeremiah as a believer in God is approaching the destruction of his city. It's not lamenting. Suffering Christians who are yielded to God are actively waiting. Actively waiting for the Lord, which involves actively resting. Actively resting in the Lord God is infused with hope. Hope is the sure knowledge and expectation that someday our hardship will end. The Lord says so. Hopeful waiting is knowing that knowing that God is worth waiting for, that God is true to his promise that it will come to an end and that the timing is set by him and we're content with that. Hopeful waiting is remaining convinced that God knows what is best. So a healthy hoping is accepting this current pathway as bathed, lamenting, and yet recognizing this suffering, this hardship, this waiting, this timetable, This pathway has all been perfectly arranged by our loving God and so our hoping hearts keep repeating that to ourselves. Wait and see, hope says. Through this good lamenting, our good Lord encourages us and this form of acceptance is today's mercy from him. Remember how his mercies are new every day? What's today's mercy? Today's mercy is remembering that he is with us in it and that this will end. In addition, tomorrow we can count on this mercy being part of God's mercy to us that every day this acceptance perspective is available. The yielded perspective will be available tomorrow from our God of consistency and our God of faithfulness. This surrendering to God without squawking is always part of the new mercies delivery basket that arrives daily to us from heaven. Every day, without fail, our merciful God enables us to comply with his sovereign will by trusting him that he knows what he's doing. Romans 12.2, by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect, Romans 12.2. Why should the sufferer accept pain and quietly wait for future deliverance by the Lord our God? Because God has promised an end and God sets the time of the end of our suffering. That promise is provided in this three set, ver- set of verses, 31, 32, and 33. Lamenting verses, listen to it carefully. For the Lord will not cast off forever, but though he cause grief, He will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love, for he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of man. God has no desire to afflict his children out of his heart that would want to see us suffer. Of course not. No. Rather, God only sends as much affliction as is absolutely necessary to bring about our restoration. Psalm 23 reminds of this same basic truth. The Lord is our shepherd. And it is he who restores our souls. The same shepherd who, as we continue to read through Psalm 23, remains with us while he takes us on a walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Why don't we fear? Because of his very presence. And because his goodness and his mercy follow us like a dog on a trail each day of our lives. Psalm 23 shares the viewpoint of Lamentations 3, which is that our suffering is God's chastisement with a view towards restoration, like surgery is a view toward healing. While we lament, God reassures that our suffering will end, which brings us to our third point and last for today. While we lament under God's design, we gain true contentment. Just a couple of quotes out of these verses 34, 35, 36. To crush underfoot prisoners, to deny a man justice, to subvert a man in his lawsuit, the Lord does not approve. God's character is now described here in reference to releasing the captives, which is the central work of the coming Messiah. As Jesus himself pointed out in his very first sermon, Luke 4, verse 18 in which he's quoting Isaiah 61, 1 and 2. The Spirit of the Lord is on upon me, Jesus said, because he has anointed me and he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. And Paul picks up this concept in 1 Corinthians 15:57. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's that freedom that God gives to former captives, freedom to former exiles, freedom to those who were stuck in their sins. God has given here, as it's described, basic rights, including each person having equal opportunities before God and before the law to take someone captive unfairly or to cheat him or her out of their rights is to deface the image of God in him or her, since God is the just one. That's what's being explained in these verses. These three verses together describe God's character of justice and what is right and so that we can trust that God himself will respond and will make it right. This may be not on our timetable. We see this expounded in our last triplet, verses 37, 38, 39. God alone is the controller of all things that come to pass, verse 37 shows. Verse 38 shows from God's mouth come all good outcomes for us, and look carefully at it, and all bad outcomes for us. And in verse 39, therefore, who should complain? "Every person should endure every bad outcome with patience and without protest to God, trusting in the mercies of God to bring us good out of even this evil." So Job came to the same conclusion. Job chapter two, verse 10, "Shall we receive good from God, and shall we not receive evil? Job 2, verse 10. God's word tells us here in Lamentations, God's word tells us in Job, God's word tells us in other places how both good outcomes and bad outcomes can be squared with the fact that God is good and that he loves us still. Consider Romans 8.28, I've actually been told at times that I shouldn't quote this to somebody who's suffering and I couldn't disagree more. Listen to the value of what this is saying to us. It's the same thing as Lamentations, the same thing as Job. Romans eight twenty eight. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Romans eight twenty eight. Patience and endurance should especially be the case when it's an innocent person who is the one who's suffering unjustly. And this truth we know from Peter. Apostle Peter, 1 Peter 2, 24 and 25, Christ himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed for you were straying like sheep but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. On the other hand, when a person has done wrong and suffers for it, that person has no cause to grumble per the same apostle Peter, in the same chapter, 1 Peter 2.20, For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? End quote, 1 Peter 2.20. In other words, since innocent Job was not supposed to grumble when he suffered tremendously, how much less should exiles grumble whose exile was caused by their own sins? It's a clear lesson across the book of Lamentations. Then we might ask, well, how far does such acceptance go? This attitude of being submissive to God in the face of sufferings is seen at the highest level by Jesus just before his crucifixion. Matthew 26, 67, quote, Then they spit in Jesus' face and struck him, and some slapped him. We go over to another gospel, Luke 22:64. 64. They also blindfolded Jesus and kept asking him, prophesy, who is it that struck you? Luke 22:64. 64. How far does this acceptance go? We have to look all the way to the cross. The lamenting zone, that time in which we're suffering and have not yet received God's relief, takes us to the cross. It has to. What do we see? While waiting for God, an innocent victim suffered for the sins of others in obedience to God's will. Matthew 26:39, Jesus fell on his face and prayed, "My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will." Even though we know that the suffering of Jesus is unique for him, he's the only Messiah. He is God and man, and he came in, in order to restore. Uh, rescue and redeem us from our sins, there's still this application to us because we're in Christ by faith and because we follow him on his pathway so that the attitude of Jesus towards this is to become the attitude of followers of Jesus on our pathway of submitting to God's will for our sufferings, smaller though they be. Philippians 2.5, Paul says it straight up. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to describe what that mindset is. Yes, Jesus is God. Yes, that's a good point. But even though he was the Son of God and is, yet even he emptied himself to become obedient to the point of death. Doesn't that clearly steer us to also empty ourselves and to be obedient to God in our suffering? Yes, of course. The Apostle Peter makes it just that clear again First Peter two twenty one, To this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. Peter calls us to notice that there was no form of retaliation from Jesus to his persecutors as verses 22 and 23 of 1 Peter 2 are careful to point out and I'll read that. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. First Peter 2:22 and 23. What have we seen? Between our current suffering and our future relief, we have this limited opportunity to lament while God uses this same time frame to produce something good. We saw first that when, lament, when waiting becomes our new hardship, we discover afresh the goodness of God. We saw secondly how the Lord reassures us that our suffering will end. There is a terminus. And thirdly, that while we lament under God's design, we gain true contentment. So then I offer these two application points to us. Number one, the lamenting zone is for receiving hope from God. The lamenting zone is for receiving hope from God. Jeremiah was leading his people back to God himself because he's walking that path himself and then he's writing this that people might follow. In that lamenting zone, we don't set our hearts on a certain outcome from our sufferings. Instead, we set our hearts on drawing near to God and placing our hope in him alone. No suffering can take us from this God. This is the very nature of hope itself, to wait patiently for something we do not see Paul says that in Romans 8, 24 and 25. Who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Romans 8, 24 and 25. If we already had a life free from suffering, we would not need to exercise hope. If the problem you're in was already over, you wouldn't have to exercise hope for it. But because it's not over we're called to exercise hope in it. The lamenting zone is for receiving hope from God. In the lamenting zone, God is teaching us how to wait patiently, which is the same as saying God is teaching us how to hope. The Bible never says waiting is easy. But it teaches that in the waiting, there are lessons to learn that are so valuable, they're like gold. Lamenting is when lessons get learned. The lamenting zone is telling ourselves what we actually believe. God's mercy is new today. God's love never ceases. God is being faithful to me right now. We still have good reason to keep hoping in God. Hope is watchful waiting, waiting for those new mercies in this day. Eager, eyes peeled, looking for the good. Hope is uh, waiting with knowledge, certain knowledge that one day God will bring this suffering to an end. Hope is a yielded sort of waiting, surrendering fully to God's timing and, and not needing to keep asking God, are we there yet? Like the immaturity of children in the car. Hope is waiting without grumbling, rather than going on and on about this isn't right suffering, it's not deserved suffering. That Jeremiah got into a new habit, waiting with hope and getting that hope from God alone. The lamenting zone is for receiving hope from God. Second and last application point the lamenting zone is for lamenting. We've studied all the way through Jeremiah and we know him as the weeping prophet. But he's not just weeping, he's lamenting and it's different. Listen, once God provides us relief, we'll be too busy rejoicing to do lamenting. Now is the time to lament and it's a rare, limited opportunity. When we're suffering, we're in a rare period of time, a short-lived moment. Only during this time can we lament. We're in the lamenting zone while we're in this world, of course, designed by God for us as a learning laboratory. And even during this time, God is doing something good. We keep lamenting. Until relief comes, we keep lamenting with hope. We keep receiving the reassurances from God. We keep going over verses 22, 23, and 24. Write some more hymns. Rejoice over these things. Memorize that. We're expecting good to come to us from our good God. Lamenting is contented waiting. It's okay that we don't know what will happen. Is it okay with you? We have to keep telling ourselves, it's okay that I don't know what will happen. Wondering about it occupies too much space in our thinking. Lamenting helps us to avoid getting fearful about what might happen or about what could happen. In lamenting, we keep turning ourselves back to God. Lamenting is asking, why is this happening? And accepting God's answer. What's his answer? Because he's giving us mercy. Because he's giving us love. Because he knows us because he knows what's best, because he's correcting us, because he's ruling over us and protecting us, because he sees the whole picture and he knows what we need. Lamenting, at its core, is telling ourselves that we're not God. We wait because we're not God. If we were God, we wouldn't have to wait. We make it happen whenever we say to make it happen. We wait not knowing Because we're not God. Waiting feels like we're not doing anything. And that is the whole point. We can't do anything. We can't fix and change this world. But God is doing something. God is doing something because he can. Because he can fix this world. and One day he will make everything right. He can provide for us in the meantime. All we have to do is find a way to express that we know that God is in control. We feel out of control, but the situation is in control. It's in God's hands. But actually, it's enough for us that God is in control. Only in the lament zone are you forced to tell yourself these things. I believe today afresh that it's enough that God is in control. I can rest in that. Jeremiah says, learn it as young as you can this truth will serve you your whole life. Lamenting is relinquished waiting because spiritual lessons come slowly because we don't relinquish very quickly, do we? We have to reach the point of stop trying on our own. We have to reach a point of brokenness. We have to be ready for God to lead us out of it. Our job is not to fix. Our job is to lament. That's why God brought us into the lamenting zone. While we're here, We remember the goodness of God. And even in this zone, his mercies meet us here. His intentions are kind intentions. He's not enjoying the struggles any more than we are. But he has so much good to give us that we can be given no other way during no other time in no other zone. The lamenting zone is for lamenting. Psalm 42, 6. Why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Let's pray. Father, when we're weighed down by many sufferings in this world, grant us to learn.